Throughout the Torah, there are many heroes with awe-inspiring ascension to greatness. When we think of Moshe Rabbeinu, we picture a burning bush, a confrontation with Paro in a splitting sea. When we think of Avram, we imagine a man thrown into the flames, undergoing bris mila at the ripe old age of 100 and the willingness to sacrifice his son on the altar. However, when we think of Pinchas, what do we see? The image is unclear. It's mixed with conflicting emotions, begging for clarity and explanation. So let's start from the very beginning of this week's Parsha, Parsha's Pinchas, which follows immediately after the events of last week's Parsha, Balak. After Bilaam's attempt to curse the Jewish people failed, he tried to sway their loyalty through the enticement of harlots. The Jewish people not only begin violating the sin of adultery, but begin violating the sin of idolatry as well. And this leads up to the closing scene of last week's Parsha, for which this week's Parsha is named. Pinchas, upon seeing Zimri's public act of brazenness with Cosby, the Midianite woman, grabs a spear and pierces them both. And this shocking sequence of events sets off an uproar. The Jewish people are astounded at what Pinchas did and degrade him viciously for it. They point out that Pinchas was the grandson of Aaron HaKohen who facilitated the creation of the Eagle Hazav, the Golden Calf, the centerpiece of the worst sin in Jewish history. Not only that, but he was also a descendant of Yisro, a man who used to be a priest of idolatry. And Klai Yisrael used this lineage as a basis to challenge Pinchas' intentions, claiming an undercurrent of hypocrisy to his rebuke. How, they asked, could a person of such descent punish a Nasi, a prince of Bnei Yisrael, so harshly? What right did Pinchas have? However, Hashem quickly justified Pinchas' act. In fact, showing its extreme merit by rewarding him with the bris shalom and bris kahuna. The bris kahuna granted Pinchas the status of a Kohen, a status which he was lacking before this point. Although Pinchas was descended from Aaron HaKohen, he was born before Hashem conferred the kahuna status upon Aaron and his sons, and therefore he was not included amongst those appointed. Although future offspring of Aaron and his sons inherited the kahuna, Aaron's already existing grandchildren did not. However, after Pinchas' act of valor, Hashem himself awarded Pinchas the status of Kohen as well. And this, however, requires some explaining. What is the meaning of these two brachos, and why did Pinchas deserve them specifically in response to his actions with Cosme and Zimri? And perhaps more basically, why was Pinchas's act of murder even considered heroic in the first place? It appears to be violent and rash, perhaps even overly emotional. So let's try to explain the deep principles behind this episode. The first category, the first topic, is the proper use of emotion. The Torah describes Pinchas' act as being one of kinah, or, or zealotry, 
A zealot is one who acts with passion and fervor, an attribute that can sometimes become radical or extreme. And this midah features prominently in the Torah, both in the case of Pinchas, as well as earlier with Shimon and Levi, in their behavior towards Shechem. After Shechem violates their sister Dina, Shimon and Levi took revenge on Shechem and brutally wiped out the entire city. And if you look back, you remember that Yaakov rebukes them for this rash act, even cursing their anger later on when giving the Shvata Brachos at the end of his life. And the brother's defense is that they stood up for their sister, and perhaps even in a sense all of Kalei's role, as when Dina was violated, the entire Jewish nation was cast in a bad light. However, Shimon and Levi are clearly criticized for their extreme behavior, which paints zealotry in a bad light and suggests that it can be a dangerous attribute. Pinchas expresses the same attribute of zealotry, and yet, for some reason, he is exceedingly praised and rewarded for doing so. So what was the difference between their actions? How can zealotry be used for the positive? What's the difference between Pinchas and Shimon and Levi? So ideally, a person who is zealous on behalf of Hashem is so consumed by love for Hashem that every single one of his or her actions is driven by that love and passion. And the fine line that determines whether or not zealotry is positive is the intention behind this passion. The outer physical expression of raw emotion and ego can appear almost identical to the genuine desire to act on behalf of Hashem. And this is what the question behind Pinchas' actions truly came down to. Both appear the same on the outer surface. It's only the inner drive that differentiates the two. And in the, to- in the text of the Torah itself, it seems as though Pinchas spontaneously acted with no hesitation, consultation, or affirmation whatsoever. However, Rashi, quoting the Gemara in Sanhedrin, and that Pei Beis Amen Aleph explains that Pinchas did indeed first consult with Moshe before passionately executing Cosby and Zimri. The problem, though, is that this limits Pinchas' extreme zealotry to a more calculated and rational passion. Other opinions, though, state that Pinchas did not hesitate. He acted immediately and independently. And this would explain why it was so important for Hashem to clarify that Pinchas' action was indeed an act of heroism, not an inappropriately passionate act of murder. And this could also be an interesting reason for the layout of the Parshios. For although Pinchas' act of zealotry actually occurred in last week's Parsha in Balak, the praise and reward are not granted until this week's Parsha. And this expresses the confusion that B'nai Yisrael experienced surrounding the action, which was only cleared up once Hashem clarified his proper intention. Only in this week's Parsha, once Hashem clarified Pinchas' proper intention, was Pinchas retroactively considered to have acted heroically. And this emphasis on intention is particularly striking when viewing the stories of Shimon and Levi and Pinchas side by side, because Zimri was the Nasi, the prince of the tribe of Shimon. And while Pinchas, on the other hand, was from the tribe of Levi. 
And Shimon and Levi originally acted with extreme passion and they were both criticized for doing so. And here their descendants seem to be replaying and repeating their legacy. Zimri and Pinchas both acted at a passion. But Zimri brazenly committed a sin and Pinchas dramatically killed him performing a mitzvah. The difference between them was that Pinchas learned to use this media, this characteristic of kina, correctly, controlling his emotion and passion. But Zimri, on the other hand, he failed. He was controlled by it. So let's explore in a little more depth a few aspects of Pinchas's action in order to see how he characterized righteous zealotry. The Kliyakar explains that by engaging in this act of zealotry, Pinchas had to completely negate his ego and disregard his public image and reputation. He was willing to undergo the embarrassment and ridicule of those who claim that his own father married the daughter of an idol worshiper, Israel, and that his grandfather was involved in the Egil Hazal of Aram. These claims were an attempt to show that Pinchas was unworthy to rebuke Zimri's act. Nevertheless, Pinchas was willing to sacrifice his reputation to do what he knew was right. To stand up for the truth. And in doing so, he would face backlash from those who didn't understand him. But that did not deter him from standing up for what he knew was right. Now, there's a strange feature of the story of Pinchas and Zimri, which is the striking omission of Zimri's name from the story as it is first told. Only afterwards, when recounting the story again, does the Torah name the perpetrator of this evil act. So why? Why is this so? Why is Zimri's name left out? So it's suggested that Zimri's name is omitted to exclude the possibility that Pinchas' act was due to emotion or a need for personal vengeance. Pinchas had no vendetta against Zimri, no vested interest in killing him at all. The Torah doesn't mention Zimri's name in order to highlight that Pinchas would have killed whoever committed the sin, regardless of who it was. He acted out of love and devotion for Hashem, and that's it. And this idea is similar to the description of Moshe's birth. Moshe Rabbeinu, when he was born, the Torah omits his parents' names. It says that a man of Levi took a daughter of Levi. Why? Why does the Pasuk leave out his parents' names? It's because Moshe became the leader of Klai Yisrael based on his own decisions, not merely due to the parents who raised him. And regardless of who his parents were, Moshe would have become the greatest leader of all time. And this is not to belittle the tremendous impact that parents can have, but to serve as an important insight into the self-determination of each person's destiny. Now, as a little parenthetical, the halachic discussion of Rodef, a pursuer, is another important element of Pinchas' act of zealotry because it really does require much more analysis and it's beyond the scope of this brief shear. But according to several opinions, since Zimri was not yet Chayv Misa, he wasn't requiring the death penalty yet for his actions, Pinchas would have been halachically considered to be a Rodif, a pursuer, when he tried to kill Zimri. And as a result, Zimri would have been allowed to preemptively kill Pinchas first. 
So by attacking Zimri, Pinchas was actually putting his own life in jeopardy in order to express his love and devotion for Hashem. Once again, showing the selflessness and positive intentions behind his actions. Let's take the next step. Now that we've studied Pinchas' action in more depth, we can now attempt to explain the suitability and beauty behind the two gifts awarded to Pinchas. The first was the Pris Kehuna, an opportunity to join the rest of his family in performing the Avoda and the Mishkan. But why was this a fitting gift? So one could simply suggest that this was a generous reward that Hashem decided to bestow upon Pinchas. And one can go even further and say that Pinchas was the grandson of Aaron HaKohen, and this was a very fitting gift because now he can join the rest of his own family in performing the Avodah, the service, in the Mishkan. But to take this step deeper, we can say that maybe even Pinchas was already somewhat of a Kohen due to his spiritual genetics. He was, after all, the grandson of Aaron. And once he showed his love and devotion for Hashem, that potential within him was activated. And he spiritually emerged as the Kohen he was already, and perhaps always, capable of becoming. Now, while these are all nice and beautiful answers, I want to suggest something even deeper, a deeper approach. Because after all, what is the role of a Kohen? Kohanim serve to foster the connection between both Hashem and this world, and Hashem and the Jewish people, Klai Yisrael. When the Kohanim bring karbonos, karov, to bring close, they serve to connect the physical and spiritual, and they serve to connect the Jewish people to their source, to Hashem himself. And there's another layer to this as well, as the Maharal explains, seven is the number of the natural, and therefore all physical and natural components of this world are built off sevens. Seven days in the week, seven notes in the musical scale, seven colors in the spectrum of light. Eight represents going beyond the natural, which is why bris mila is done on the eighth day. We take the most physical and potentially animalistic organ and use it to transcend. And this is also why the miracle of Hanukkah lasted eight days and is also why it came through shemen, oil, the same shores as shemona, Eight. So it's therefore no surprise that the gematria, the numerical value of Kohen, is 75. The number exactly between 70 and 80. The Kohen's role is to connect the higher and lower, the physical and spiritual, the infinite and finite. And this is done specifically in the base Hamikdash or the Mishkan, the place of connection. By killing Zimri and putting a stop to the rampant sin amongst Klai Israel, Pinchas was able to both prevent further sin and be mechaper to atone for their past sins, putting an end to the Magifa, the plague. This is the exact job of the Kohen to help atone for sin and maintain the Jewish people's connection with Hashem. In doing so, Pinchas earned his right to be a Kohen. He embodied it. Kahuna was not an arbitrary gift, it was the positive consequence of the person Pinchas chose to become, a zealot for Hashem. But let's take it one last step. In addition to the bris Kahuna, Pinchas was granted the bris Shalom, literally translated as the bris of peace. 
Now, there are several ways to understand the meaning and significance of the bris shalom. On the most basic level, we can suggest that the bracha of shalom is meant to signify the result that Pinchas created. By killing Zimri, Pinchas pacified Hashem's anger and brought shalom, peace, between Hashem and Klai Yisrael. Hashem had brought a plague and was going to kill many more Jews had Pinchas not intervened. Ironically, the only way to create peace was through an act of violence. Now, the second approach requires a deeper understanding of shalom. Simply translated, the Hebrew word shalom means peace. But the deeper understanding and translation of shalom is harmony and balance. Shalom is not when two parties sit next to each other without hurting one another. True shalom is when two different parties, perhaps even contradictory parties, are able to interconnect, harmonize, and create something beyond the sum of their two parts. This is the spiritual concept of Tiferes, harmony of opposites. Tiferes, which literally means splendor, is linked to the word pe'er, beauty, because both words share the same shores, the same root. So what's, what, what exactly makes something beautiful? When you watch the sun set along the beach, the sight is undeniably beautiful. What though makes this scene so beautiful? Is it the sun, the water, the reflection of the sun on the water? In truth, there's no one thing that makes something beautiful. True beauty is the result of many contrasting pieces melting together into a harmonious oneness. It's, it's from this synthesis that beauty emanates. Beauty results when different colors, shapes, ideas, and sounds melt into a single connected body forming an indescribable, transcendent fusion beyond finite expression. And fascinatingly, this is why a doctor is called a rofe. Because rofe is a word comprised of the same letters as the word pe'er and teferes. Resh pe'alef. It's because a doctor's job is to balance and create harmony of all the different forces within the body. It's to create homeostasis, inner harmony. And this same concept applies to the principle of emes, truth. The uneducated mind thinks of the truth as a single statement, but the truth is actually the balance and harmony of seemingly opposite and contradictory things. This is the basis behind the principles of thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. Two contradictory ideas that are solved through a third one. For example, if I were to tell you that the library is closed on Wednesday, and then I told you that the library is open on Wednesday, you would be confused. But the MS, the balanced and holistic truth, is that the library is open in the mornings on Wednesday and closed in the afternoon. This is one of the 13 midos, the 13 tools that we use to darshan the Torah. Hakasov Hashlishi Yachriya Benihim, the third pasa clarifies the previous contradiction. 
A corruption of the truth is taking an isolated idea, which is part of the truth, and seeing it alone as the whole truth, rather than placing it within the larger context of the higher truth. The whole truth is taking all the pieces of truth and melting them into a single larger picture. The higher truth is the wholeness and oneness of all the pieces of truth coming together. This is why the Gemara in Brachos, Tafheim Abayz 5b, refers to the Torah as truth, as MS. The Torah is a reflection of the holistic and full truth of reality. The whole world is built off of that fundamental truth of Torah. And this is the meaning of Shalom. Shalom is not a lack of conflict. It's when conflicting ideas and parts exist in harmony. Not only do they no longer contradict each other anymore, but they actually complement and bring out each other's greatness. They join into something greater than two separate pieces. Greater than the sum of the parts. This is why the word shalem means completion. Harmony and shalom is when all the disparate pieces melt into a single whole and a completed whole. Greater than the sum of its parts. This is why we strive for shalom bias in marriage. We don't only strive for a peaceful house, one that lacks conflict and arguments. We strive for a relationship of oneness and true harmony between husband and wife, where they create a whole that's greater than the sum of the two parts. And this is exactly what Pinchas did. He created a state of harmony within Klai Yisrael. Beforehand, there was absolute chaos and dysfunction. Klaishol was admired in sin. And Zimri was leading this movement towards greater and greater levels of chaos and dysfunction. Pinchas didn't only recreate equilibrium, resetting the balance. He created a stronger and deeper state of connection and oneness amongst Klaishol themselves and between Klaishol and Hashem. His actions shook Klai Yisrael to their core and reminded them who they were and what they stood for. He was the true embodiment of Shalom. The Brish Shalom was a perfect description of what Pinchas had achieved. And there's one last layer that requires elucidation. The Bircha Shalom was not only a reward, but a prerequisite for the Birchas Kahuna. There's a profound psychological principle regarding the nature of physical action because we are affected by our actions, no matter our intentions. In other words, regardless of our intentions, whether lishma for the right purposes or not, an evil act will have internal psychological and existential repercussions. When Pinchas killed Zimri, he became a murderer irrespective of whether or not his actions were appropriate. And in order to prevent the status of murderer from taking hold of him and affecting him, Hashem gave him a bracha of shalom, countering the violence that would have become a part of Pinchas's very beating. Additionally, Pinchas required this bracha in order to become a Kohen and perform the avoda and the mishkan because a Kohen who murders someone is prohibited to do the avoda, So Hashem was actually giving Pinchas the very means through which he would be able to receive the Birchas Kahuna. 
Pinchas needed the bracha of Shalom to ensure that he would remain pure and full of Shalom, despite his violent act of zealotry. Because we find this exact same idea expressed regarding David HaMelech, the Psukim, in Divrei Hayamim, explained that David was unable to build the base Hamikdash because he was a warrior with blood on his hands. That base Hamikdash is a place of shalom, of connection, of oneness between Hashem and Klai Yisrael. It's where Hashem connects to this world. And such a place could not be built by the hands of blood and war, even if those wars were Melchameh Mitzvah, spiritual wars, wars that were appropriate. And we're completely justified. This is because people are inherently affected by the things they do. Murder affects a person, regardless of its permissibility. And this idea applies equally in the positive sense as well. The Rambam, the Chinuch, and the Ramchal all discuss how positive actions affect your internal state, irrespective of your outer intentions. If you do something good, even if you don't have the right intentions, that good act will reverberate within you and have a positive impact on your internal world, on your internal state, and ultimately create lasting change. And it's true that the ideal may be to first change your inner world, your perceptions and your beliefs, and only then externalize those internal changes outwards. However, sometimes internal change is too difficult. And we have to begin with outer action in the hopes that internal change soon follows. This is the principle behind the term fake it till you make it. Externalize and act like the person you wish to become because if you do, one day you will actually become that person. And this is the incredible and yet mysterious story of Pinchas. He was a zealot, a leader, an enforcer of MS of truth. He stood up for the truth, even when no one stood with him, even when his entire reputation was on the line. He embodied the mission and purpose of a Kohen, connecting Israel back to Hashem, receiving his Birchas Kahuna as a result. His Birchas Shalom reflects the genuine spiritual Shalom that he created amongst Israel, as well as the internal Shalom Pinchas required after performing such a brutal, albeit necessary, act of zealotry. May we be inspired to always strive for the higher truth, to stand up for what we know is right, and to consistently create both external and internal shalom.